0: Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we're here to talk about another controversial win by Tottenham Hotspur this week. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone, check us out on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And leave us a nice review on iTunes or Spotify because we're very good boys and we deserve it. Now, without further ado... It's time to introduce my guest, my co-host for this week. Uh, Leading us off, coming to us from his uh, Breaking Bad-style RV in in Miami, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, how is the crystal ship?
1: Um, you know, here it's important to do it in colors that are bright, so we don't do blue here. Um, We've got (laughs) pink variety and an orange. Um, the green was less successful. People kept getting it lost on the backs of their alligators. Um, so we've moved away from that, but, uh, otherwise great. Things are great.
0: Do you have any alligators that you've named after Spurs players? I mean, I know you
1: have alligators. I don't want to
0: insult you, but...
1: Uh I try to avoid giving them uh names for uh the you know Spurs players because I feel like sort of compassion for Spurs players and um I mostly have negative feelings towards the Alligators. It helps when you are feeding them your enemies to not really appreciate them in any kind of way. So you name them Harry
0: Winks, Ryan Mason. Yeah, there's definitely one named Ryan Mason. Okay. <laughs> And p- pinch hitting for uh Ben this week it is Ryan Rosenblatt coming to us from the Midwest of America. Ryan, how are you faring this fine week?
2: You know, it's it's another hot August week and uh I just want this summer to be over.
0: But it has to be summer to enjoy barbecue, right? So you're in the right place for that in Kansas City.
2: I I just it's the worst season. It needs to end. <laughs>
0: Well, fortunately, we have a Winter roll Cup, so that's something for you to look forward to as the, as the weather improves. That was a really bad transition. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, so let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur. Speaking of things that need to improve, uh, Tottenham won 2-0 against Nottingham Forest, away at, at Forest. Um, Ryan, you're our guest, so we'll start with you. Uh, this has been a controversial game among Spurs fans. Was this a good performance by Tottenham Hotspur?
2: It definitely wasn't a good performance. I, I, my, I guess, hesitation is whether or not it was a bad performance. Like it, I don't think it was a bad performance either. It was fine. Like we, we could have been better in different games. We will need to be better on the flip side. Like most of the season, like it it looks a little bit sloppy. There's a lot to improve. There are clear holes and um, issues we have, especially when teams press us but also nobody really gets chances against us. And if you're not giving up chances, like you're probably going to be mostly okay. So it's, it's a weird thing where you're like, we've never really been under threat. We've never really been given a ton of problems. And also we clearly just don't look great.
0: Brian, what are your feelings?
1: Yeah, I think I, I basically agree with Ryan. Um, I think my frustration with the early part of this season has been that the issues seem to be obvious to just me and that um, we have fixes for them in the squad and we're not utilizing them, uh, you know, in such a way that, in, 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 for example, in this game you have Devin Sanchez who has to play because Romero is injured and so you lose the passing in the back line, and, like, Longley is just there. Like, you could just play Longley. Um, You know, Emerson Royale, who has been largely fine, but, like, we have other players that we can play in that position, and we're just not. You know, Sun has been off the pace, and not that he shouldn't be playing consistently, but, like, you know, we have the option of playing Richarlison from the start of matches. You know, we have the option of playing Basuma in midfield. Like... I understand Conte's desire to, you know, have a meritocracy, and this team has won, you know, uh, two of their first three, and blah, 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 but, like, we just haven't looked great, and we could be doing things differently, and we're not. So that's my frustration, but also we beat a team that we should be beating, and that's good. Who's
0: I think, you know, I think there's a lot going on here, because I think Forrest is not, I mean, it's hard to tell, because it's, like, 20 new players, but I think Forest is a little bit better than teams that get promoted, or at least they're playing well for a promoted team. I think there's a lot that's going on here, Ryan. I know when we had you on uh, in the spring, and we were talking about like where Spurs fans felt kind of dissatisfied with a team that was playing much better than this at the time. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is, which I think really cut to the heart of the issue that a lot of Spurs fans were having was like Arsenal was ahead of us in the league and and grinding out results, and it was really frustrating that they were sort of sitting above us on the table. I think that's part of what's going on here. I think Arsenal have had a really good start to the season and they've looked pretty impressive doing it. Now we could get into who they have looked impressive doing it against versus who we have played and the relative merits of those two starts. But I think that is playing into Spurs fans' heads and there's a lot of wondering, you know, why aren't we blowing the doors off teams in the way that Arsenal is? But I think also something that's going on here is I think it's the I think you're you guys are right in that we're not playing as well as we should. We're seeding control. It's we're we're, we're maybe not dominating in the way games in the way we should. But I think there's also we're used to games like this being a little worse than these games have been in terms of you know teams generally produce better chances against us when they have that much of the ball. Uh, you know when you go back one two three years. You know last year under Conte, but certainly under Mourinho, and even you know going back and under Pochettino – Usually when a team has a game like this against us, they are putting us under a lot more threat than we've seen in the last two games. And I think some of that is a knee-jerk reaction to that in addition to any sort of legitimate concerns we have about our performance. So I think it's, it's partially we could be playing better in certain ways, but I also think there's a vibes issue here um, that is affecting us. I do think it's worth pointing out that these are... Uh, I think even going into the Chelsea game a little less so in that game than the others, but these are games that Spurs have grown into. I mean, I would say from the 65th, you know, like I think I I can't remember the exact timing of it, but after Henderson saved Kane's goal, or a penalty rather, uh, like I want to say Forrest had like five-ish, maybe more, I can't remember exactly, minutes of like looking really lively. And I think after that, we just really started whipping their ass for the rest of the match. Uh, I don't know if that's fitness. I don't know if that's just we need to get a handle on a match. But I do think you're seeing Spurs come into the end of these matches really strong. I think we looked a lot better against Wolves at the end of that match.
1: I think the problem, though, with with that is, and, and I, I agree that we did look better in the second half, but the problem is is that we haven't looked good in the first half in pretty much all of our games. Bar, After Southampton. I yeah, think. bar Southampton. Yeah, And so it's just like, What is causing that and you know because we look at it and i think i think we've talked in our writers room that you know in uh about oh what changes in the second half and i think a a bunch of us have made the joke that it's like uh we started trying harder and at a certain point you can't be like trying less hard in the first half not that that's actually what's happening here but that's like there, there are we are going to play better teams that are going to make us pay for flat performances in the first half uh, if we continue to do this and and the problem is I don't exactly have a grasp on what this that we are doing in the first half is other than we just don't look like we grasp the game plan or that we're trying or I because Because the second half, and usually you know from sixty minutes on, we seem to be much more up for it. We seem to be trying harder, we seem to be pressing more, we seem to be you know doing all the things that we think this team should be doing. It's just like why aren't we doing that from minute one
0: i I think there is an element of it. I think when we are playing well, even – and I think we saw this a little bit under Tino, too, because we – and I think this is somewhat speaking to systems that have some level of reactiveness in it. You know, like, you look at that Southampton game. You look at some of our better games last year. We look a little rough for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes where I think we're feeling the game out. And then we sort of, you know, start to impose ourselves and we get a feel for how the other team's playing – I think there's some version of that going on here, but I also think you're right, Brian. Like, this is not... Like, we're missing something early on. We're not... Like, something's not clicking until, like, you know, Conte yells at them at halftime or something. Or maybe it's just as simple as they get tired, but I'm not sure what it is. But, yeah, clearly we're taking, like, a whole half to get going, and it's a problem.
2: Yeah, I think part of it, too, though, in terms of perception, is also you look at the way that we finished last season and under Conte, there were good stretches. Then there were not so great stretches. And then fortunately finished with a good stretch and, and leapfrogging arsenal. And like, that's great. And then even through all that, though, we heard a lot of talk about was Conte going to stay. And a big part of it is he, he was basically like, you need to be a big club. You need to go sign the players. Um, and so there was a lot of, expectation going into the summer that like okay we were a top four team um we were under Conte better than just a fourth place team um and a lot of that was digging out of the the Nuno hole but now we're going to take this even further and so expectations were not just can you play pretty well um i think pretty fairly so the expectation is this team would be a lot better than the team that finished last season um and, and we can sit here and debate the merits of signing richarlison signing basuma signing uh spence on and on and the various players that we've signed and whether or not they were good or they were bad and 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 on and on but the reality is, is i think it was pretty clear that we expected this team this season to be better than the team last season and i don't think we've seen that they are yet and obviously part of that is um, outside of Parisich, n- none of the new signings have started a I'd game I'd say you yet. could
0: throw a Charleston. He had a
2: well, but he, they, he hasn't started.
0: Like that's Parisich is that's the fair.
2: only one of the new signings who started so far, and so we are seeing mostly last year's team. Um, and so I, so like you, you could go one of two ways with that. Is okay? You were supposed to be better. Why aren't you? Um, and. and you could sit here and say like, well, they got to fix some stuff. They got to do these other things. The other thing is, well, you can't be better if you're not going to play the guys um, who you brought in to make you better. And are, is this just, you know, Conte feeling out the squad, wanting to make sure he has a base level foundation and then add in the new players and find out how he can, once he's kind of set a high floor and then he'll start working on how he can raise the ceiling. Maybe that's what he's doing. And, you know, he's much smarter at this than me. So if that's what he's doing, cool, keep doing that thing. Um, Or is it also maybe the summer wasn't quite good enough? We did not sign those players who could come in and raise kind of the first 11 standard enough. um, And we kind of just signed a lot of depth, which is has value. I mean, it doesn't mean the team isn't better now or the squad isn't better than it was last year. But maybe the summer did not um, raise the team to the level that maybe we expected on May 15th of last year so I think there are a few ways to look at it but I think a lot of it is born of the fact um and and yeah I think it would be a little different if Arsenal wasn't top of the table but I think the biggest thing is we expected this team to be a lot better than the team that we saw last March April May and to this point they're not um which also could be explained by the fact that most teams usually kind of suck for the first month of the season too so it's not like I'm, I'm not pressing any panic button but I think that these are kind of all the factors that are making us be like yeah, the, the results work, and, you know, it's mostly good, and they're not getting chances, and we look very professional, and Conte probably loves the fact that we are we are doing the things that he cares most about, which is running and not letting people shoot the ball from anywhere that matters. Um, also, our expectations are higher than that, and whether that's fair or not, whether whether it's fair that those expectations are there at all, or maybe it's just we should kind of ease off those expectations until October, I don't know.
0: And it's, it's weird, because like I said, I think the way that some of these games have gone, there's just like... I, I saw someone say, it's like, oh, it's like Mourinho, but with a worse offense, which is like, let's fucking cool our jets on that one. <laughs> it is definitely not that. Um, but, you know, there's there's it's, it's not what we saw at the beginning of last year in Nuno, where we just ground out like three results, and we're really lucky to get those results. This is... You know, I think it's different than that, but it is – I think you're right, Ryan. We're not hitting the heights that we hit last year, and we certainly didn't hit the ground running in the way that I think we all hoped that we would. I mean, I think an important thing, though, about – to keep in mind with Conte, too, though, is –
2: and you compare him to Mourinho. He's really not that dissimilar to
0: Mourinho. Oh, he's everything Mourinho was sold to us as. I mean, he's everything Mourinho was sold to us.
2: But he – He values all the same things he wants to play defense he wants to control specific places where people shoot he wants to be opportunistic going forward and they do it a little bit differently but like even like last season when we were playing really well and even if we score three or four goals it's not because we have these super intricate passing systems and it's not because we do all these like otherwise like really pretty things it's because we control and are ruthlessly efficient that is what Conte wants his team to be Conte isn't different from Mourinho in the sense that like it's a completely different style of football Conte is different than Mourinho in the sense that it's in a lot of ways really similar football Conte is just way better at making it work And if Conte were 5% less better at the actual coaching of it, it'd be pretty miserable to watch, just like watching Marina was pretty miserable to watch. The reason it's awesome is because he is that 5% better, because he is actually one of the three or four best managers in the world. If he was playing the same way and believed all these same things, but was the 14th best manager in the world, it would suck. He gets away with it and is successful because he's fucking awesome.
1: Well, and I think the thing about this game specifically and about some of the other early games of the season that that you kind of touched on there ryan is like the the sort of ruthlessness and the effectiveness of when we choose to go forward and when we attack has not been as sharp as it was during stretches last year and i think certainly not as sharp as what we all were picturing in our mind's eye coming into this season. Like we were picturing, you know, the way it was at times last season where Kulisewski gets the ball down the right and Kane and Son are both firing on all cylinders. And it's just like every time we go forward, we're getting a good, a, a big chance and we're scoring goals and, you know, we're doing really cool stuff. And it's just been a little bit more of a slog at the beginning of the season now we've run up against you know chelsea who kind of out tacticed us and uh and and you know we just the counter-attack hasn't been working and i don't or not that it hasn't been working it hasn't been working as effectively as i i think we all envisioned it working and and certainly uh you know part of that is due to the difficulties that sun is having right now and I don't know if that's him having difficulty combining with the fullback on his side, or if it's rust, or fitness, or whatever it is. But he is—he's really struggling right I now. Think, I think—I think he's struggling, but I—I I think those are overstated
0: to an extent. Like, especially sure. in the Look, forest I'm not, game. I'm not... Like, I thought he was more effective. Like, he almost scored a really good, like a really good low percentage chance goal early on when he put one just over the net and then he was in really good positions for a lot of the other cha- i mean he had like i i don't you guys might disagree with me he put one sort of straight at henderson amongst sort of a crowded box and i think a less talented keeper might have spilled that um i think he but, was again i i think he's obviously struggling i think he's there it's i don't think it's wildly outside of what we've seen with some before but i think like I think you look at what he's doing, and you can see he's not a million miles off of being productive again.
2: I think I think he I, the finishing comes and goes. Like it is what it is. Like he's had cold streaks with the finishing before. But then he gets really hot. Like he's like pretty much every other footballer. It's fine. Like the the finishing doesn't bother me. I think the the interesting thing has been you're right. He's getting in a really good positions um, in the final third and he's getting these shots, which is how we can see him finishing poorly because he's putting himself in position to to have those shots. The thing that I think is different is um, I I think he's been sloppy in the middle third in ways that he's normally not. And he's getting the ball stuck under his feet um, and kind of killing counters in ways that he doesn't usually do. And so I think that when you see those things happen, it feels like he's not playing very well. Then he gets to the final third has his typically great movement, gets a good opportunity and misses the shot. Now you're seeing the end product that is not really there either. So it feels worse than it is when in reality, I think that the final third has been mostly fine. The finishing isn't there, but whatever he's mostly fine. It's the middle third where he's been sloppier than usual, which also doesn't have an outsized effect on how we play. Like that's not generally like, it'd be nice to maybe get one more chance a game, um, from a counter attack where he's given away, but I don't think it has a major effect. It just feels worse.
0: And I think the other thing contextualizing that is this is the first time we've had a honest to God alternative on the bench uh, and not just, you know, like a guy who, like, oh, well, maybe he'll be an alternative if it works out. I mean, we have a proven sort of, you know, guy who can come off the bench and score goals and get assists in the Premier League, which we saw this week um, in Richarlison, but. I don't, i'm I'm not super worried about sun it, it's I, one thing i wonder i'm curious what you guys think of this is i wonder how much of a sort of i don't want to say struggles because i feel like that's too strong a word but some of the form we're seeing out of spurs you know conte came in and i think had to really jury rake some shit last year and i think we obviously got better when he had more time on the training ground when it was one game a week at the end of the season I think we all sort of assumed, like, okay, well, he's had this team since, I don't know, October, November, whenever he took over. You know, they're really going to hit the ground wondering. I am curious how much it was – you know, he he had a full summer with these guys, with a lot of these guys, not just the new transfers, but – you know, all these guys who came back and I wonder how much of it's like they've had to relearn some shit that, you know, he either jury rigged last year or it's like, OK, well, now, you know, we've read chapters one through three. And now it's time to get to chapters like four through ten or whatever. And I wonder how much of that is what we're seeing right now. Like, you know, they've it's not just the new guys who had taken some stuff on board. It's everyone. And maybe that's part of what we're seeing.
1: I certainly think that's probably part of it. I certainly think that contributes to, you know, why we've seen the same basic lineup um, so far this season and why out of all the new signings, Perisic is the one that has played, you know, it is obviously someone who has played under Conte before. Um, so, so I think that's a part of it. Um, I don't know. I, I think, you know, just kind of going back to your, your point about Richarlison, Greg, you know, I, I him specifically, not not in relation to Sun, but him specifically, he's been good so far. Like this is kind of the upper bound for what I sort of expected from him, absent, you know, him just coming in and scoring like a thousand goals or something, you know, like this is about as good as it was gonna get from him. And and we haven't even had to see him start or rotate into matches or whatever, and um that is the assist this week was just it was so pretty. Like well, this that's is... just this is Wheelie Dealer Radio. We have a brand to
0: maintain. The assist is nice. The shit housing is what we're all here for. Yeah. Incredible. Now, I, I actually want to defend, uh, I can't remember the guy's name on Forest who cleaned him out. Um, I would, like, look, should not have done that. That's not good. You pro- I think you should have gotten a red card, not just because I'm a Spurs fan, but, like, I'm not going to lie, if an opposing player did that to my team in that situation, I'd want someone to clean that guy out too. I'm not proud that I think that way, but it's definitely, you know, I might not want him to completely wreck him like he did for Charleston, but, like, you know, I would like maybe someone to give him a shoulder or something if someone did that to my team. Um, but it's amazing because he did it for my team, and it was super awesome. And it's, it's you know, between Romero and him, it's nice like to have a bunch of shit houses on our team again.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the interesting thing, too, is when you look at, like, a Richarlison or you look at how who we've played and who we haven't played, the other question, I think, kind of becomes, um, besides the fact that Perisic just played for Conte before, which is obviously, like, a big deal and also is very, very good, um, how many of these guys we brought in realistically were brought in to be starters? Um, Basuma, like, like, maybe Basuma. Uh, Parisech for sure. Richarlison was supposed to be depth. Spence was who knows, but definitely not a starter. Longley, we like we we tell ourselves that he could be really good, and maybe he is. Longley like, is not I, brought
0: I, in to be a star. Like he might end up that way. That is not well, what I mean. Here. Like
2: I can write that story. There's enough there where I could be like, no, like he's brought in to bring the passing, but also like I'm not betting that right now. Yeah. And so it, it's also possible that this is kind of the point. This is what Conte at least wanted this season like I think he's been clear about the fact the next couple windows we have to upgrade that talent so this is not who we are forever but I think maybe this is who he meant to be this season and it's maybe not always going to be the prettiest um, but there is a ruthlessness to it it's effective and, and the difference between last season and this season might not be that we look really good or we have the passing in the midfield that we didn't have or we're a little bit more press resistant all things that I would like to see it might be the fact that when we play West Ham on a Wednesday, there's not a big drop off. And when we play or late in games, the way we played really well, because you can bring a Richarlison off the bench, um, even though Parasich is obviously great, being able to bring fresh legs over on that week. Like that might be actually the plan where it ain't going to be that pretty. We're, we're not going to get better because our best play is going to look better. We're, we're going to be better this season because we're eliminating the lows. And I don't know if that's the case, but I can tell myself that story just as easily as the other one.
1: And I actually think that's a really good point. And, you know, certainly if you look at the business that we've done as a whole in terms of, you know, the players that are going out, I mean, you're talking about Uh, you know, Harry Winks and Regulon and, um, uh, and Dombley players that we would have subbed on at the end of games, you know, uh, Lucas getting marginalized by the coming in of Spence and, and Richarlison, like, like football is very much a weak link sport. And by, you know, eliminating weak links, not only in the first 11, but also on your bench, um, you're you're absolutely going to improve the the midline and uh, of your team, and and like you said, Ryan, just like eliminate some of those lows where you have that stinker against you know West Ham or Aston Villa in midweek, and like that's something we've just consistently done for the last like three or four years. Is just have those even under Pochettino when things were going good that we still had those games, um, and so if we can cut those out of our repertoire even while not signing like some major star that we all want.
0: Well, I that's going to make
1: us a better team. I want to talk about the performance for a little, for a
0: I think we've been, I don't want to say negative, although most of our listeners probably say we've been negative, but we're a little bit down on how we played. And I think, you know, I want to talk real quick. We played Wolves a week ago and, you know, not a pretty performance, but I think broadly follows the strains of this game. And that was, the, the XG that uh, you know noted Wheeler Dealer Radio trader Michael Cayley gave it was 1.5 to 0. 0.7 uh, in our favor for a one-goal game. This week it was, you know, Forrest with 0. 0.8, us with 1.7, and that's without the penalty. Uh, you know, this week in particular, I feel like things were working a lot better. We just weren't finishing our chances. I mean, if Kane puts that penalty away, if the ball that led to the penalty goes in the net like it probably should have. You know, if Son can pull the trigger on a goal. I mean, we were getting very close for a lot of the game, and I don't think it's one of those the keeper was standing on his head games. But, you know, I, I th- this game was, I think, progress. I think we were getting closer to what we want to see out of it. And I don't know how much of it's just like Kane and Son need to finish their chances because Kane obviously – like you know, had a very good chance early on, and then had a great header late in the game um, but you know this is a game where I felt a lot i you know it's it's the controlling the game is still an issue, there's issues in the build up but by and large, in a game where Spurs didn't have their act together entirely, I thought we didn't do a bad job of producing in this in this match and I think you know as much as everyone's sort of like you know slurping forest in the English media this week. Yeah, and I don't think they were bad, but, like, I mean, we had almost a full XG over them plus a penalty. I mean, that's – at the end of the day, like, something's working.
2: Well, I think that kind of goes to, to, like, perception and also that ruthlessness because I think a lot of it is, like, teams are getting shots on us. They're just really low-quality shots. And we're not getting a ton of shots on teams. They're just really high-quality shots. And so if you look at control, you take about the way that it feels – it doesn't feel great, even when they're pulling up at 23 yards, to see them continually shooting at you. And when you go eight minutes between shots, that also doesn't feel Whoa. great for you. But when your shots are the ones that you were talking about that are racking up your XG because they are from three yards in front of goal and a penalty and a clear look for sun, whereas all their things are bombs from 25 yards, Like, and th- and I think that kind of goes to what Conte is doing here. And that's the way when he talks about the way we talk about control and the way he talks about control, I think are pretty different. And we want to see us keep the ball because honestly it keeps our heart rate down and and it feels better. But the reality is if we're the ones who are shooting from six yards and they're the ones who are shooting from 26 yards, we're the team in control no matter who has the ball the most. And I think that that's kind of, that's kind of that perception feel, but we're playing the way that for the most part, not that, he, i mean and Conte has said there are areas in which we can improve but i think for the most part what matters most that your shots are good and that their shots are bad and those are the things that we're doing well
0: but that was i think an interesting thing about this match because and again like i think it's worth comparing to sort of how things went under Mourinho, where it felt like we had like three to five quality shots in the match now it feels like we have like i don't know Closer to 10. Like, I mean, I'm probably, that's that's not scientific or anything. It feels like we're getting more. And every time in this match where I'd start to get, like, I don't really like how this is going. Forrest has got too much of the ball. We can't complete a pass. They've peppered our goal, even if the shots are garbage. Like, as soon as I would start to get worried, like, Spurs would produce a high-quality shot. Or at least that's how it felt watching the match. At no point, and again, I think you can say this about Wolves, but I think it was more... St- I think it was more clear in this match, and maybe it's just because we scored early. At no point did I feel like we were second best in this match. Now, maybe that's me being a Pollyanna. But at a minimum, I always felt like we were on top in this match. And it never felt like it was under massive threat. It was just, like you said, Ryan, I would have liked for us to to keep the ball to keep our heart rates down. But I think that's where it's like largely we're seeing Conte's plan at work. But the problem isn't necessarily that we're the way we play but you could see like the passing's not sharp like you know it's not that they're seeding control it's like these guys aren't receiving the ball or making good passes a lot of the time in midfield and you know I, I think Forest has a lot to do with that that's an energetic team that was pressing the shit out of us Wolves pressed the shit out of us last week I'm not sure every team in the league can do that um although I might sound like a broken record saying that at this point but I don't know it's it's a mix of we're still producing but we're also like there's parts of this game just aren't coming off, whether that's Kane and Son not finishing at the rate we would like to see them finish at, or just, you know, like, we're not passing the ball as well as we ought to be. I mean,
2: how much of that, though, is, and, and it sounds weird saying this, kind of by design, where because we are trying to control where we give the ball away, what we open up, what is there, there are, like, you look back, there are, it happens here and there, but it's not like we are struggling to make really basic passes or we are we it's it's mainly that like we are trying to move this thing really quickly to make a thing happen because we're not playing the five yard square ball to go to another five yard square ball to go to another five yard square ball when we're giving this ball away we're giving that up because we're trying to play really really quickly because when we have the ball the, we have two concerns: one, don't give it away in an area that exposes us, and two, how quickly can we turn this into a high-quality chance? Which is, I think, part of why we get such high-quality chances. So, not that it can't get better, not that I don't think it will get better as the season goes on, but I think also a part of that too is it, it's just not that high up on the priority list for Conte. Conte's thing is not, hey, can we can we complete all these passes? It is when we have the ball what are we going to do to increase our chance of getting a good uh, shot and decrease their chance of being able to get a good shot? And it's like really that simple and it's not always the prettiest thing. And I think they will get better, but I think part of that's by design too. and, And there's not that kind of, okay, now let's pull it back. Now let's play these passes. Now let's do these things. Now let's try and push them back five yards at a time, five yards at a time until we're in their final third. And then do like, that's just, it's not how we play. And so when you're trying to play at the speed that we play in the kind of areas of the pitch that we play, I think we're going to see a degree of that, even as we do get better.
1: Yeah. And I think the other thing is that, you know, when we talk about how this match felt, um, we have to take into consideration that, you know, Harry Kane missed a penalty for the first time in what, like 21 tries or whatever. Hungman's son misses a a chance that he probably could have put away uh, if he, if he'd been in better form. Uh, We get a really good chance at the end of the game that um, falls to Jed Spence instead of, you know, Kulisevsky. Um, You know, this game could have been a five nil victory. And, and it wouldn't have felt like weird for it to be that um, because we had those chances. And, and, and like Ryan said, you know, we're, we're doing these ruthless attacks to get in these position and get these good quality chances. And so it's there. And, you know, I think the thing is, we're just evaluating this right now off of vibes and, you know, like, the vibes aren't matching up with where we were when we came into this season. And, like, uh, you know, like we said at the top of the show, teams like Arsenal, teams like City, teams like Liverpool are putting t- other teams away no, comfortably. No, Liverpool only did that the one time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool scores nine against Bournemouth. And, and, you know, and but we are just kind of, like, grinding them out. And this is a match that, you know a few inches one way or the other it's not a grind and instead it's a it's a walk away victory and you know i at the end of the day i think the result is what matters and, and you know at, while we have we, because we are spurs and we care about things like today is to do and you know playing pretty football like we care about process too but like this is a season where results just matter like just getting it over the line the way this season is set up with games every three days and then the mid-season World Cup and da-da-da-da-da, like, just banking points right now is really what matters. Well, we all would have
0: bitten your hand off for, you know, our our point total after four games. Like, you know, a draw against Chelsea and three wins? Like, yeah, please. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I think at this point I look at the team, too, and I think of it kind of this way. And before the season, I thought, we had a pretty good chance to get over 80 points and there was an outside chance to get over 90 points. And um, at this point of the season, I'd probably say my belief that we could get over 90 is lower than it was before the season started. But I also have more belief that we are going to get over 80 and getting over 80 points puts us in the range of potentially the best season in club history. Like that's nothing to sneeze at. And, in the right season admittedly with some luck in the right season 80 mid 80s can win you the league like that's it getting to 85 86 87 which i think is very much in play and i feel better about today than i did before the season started like that is a that's a monster point total especially for this club and and it gives you a chance to do great great things um and i have more confidence in that today than i did before the season because it doesn't qu- always look the best, I also have less confidence that maybe we could get to 92. Um, but hell, I, I I'm not even going to be that upset about the fact that hey, we're gonna we're gonna challenge our point record. Like, and that's kind of how I after four games, that's where I'm feeling where I'm like, okay, maybe that ceiling isn't quite as high as I I thought it was, but I think the floor is quite a bit higher, and, and that says a lot considering that that floor was pretty high to begin with
0: Uh, before we move off this game uh there is one or two performances i want to focus on a little bit uh richarlson we kind of touched on him a little bit but brian that was pretty fantastic wasn't it
1: yeah i mean that's exactly what you want from you know your late game energy substitute like he did some shit housing he got a cool assist um you know i i i'm been very happy with his performances so far in a Spurs shirt. Um, the assist, like I said earlier, like that's just an amazing bit of skill. Um, like the outside of the boot curl around everybody for Harry Kane to have that easy header. Like you know, that's that's crazy the way that he pulled that off. Um, and then you know the keepy uppies and the and the you know getting taken out. Like I think that's probably been addressed like ad nauseum everywhere else. But like also fun really enjoyed it really enjoyed his twitter interactions since then like you know like um i mean i i i was very skeptical when we signed him about like what is he actually doing here and you know how is he going to help this team and the thing that i kind of consoled myself with was look this guy is a proven premier league player he has a history of scoring 10 plus goals um, a season for a team in the Premier League. He's going to now be surrounded by players who don't play for Everton and have a competent coach. And I, I, he's looked basically like that, like a competent, proven Premier League attacker who now is playing with better players. And I'm now interested to see him... Two different things. I want, I want to see him start um, kind of in the sun role that he's been playing I also kind of want to see him play as a central forward, you know, rotating in for Harry Kane, because I'm interested to see what that looks like in this team. Um, but his performance was great, and I'm I'm excited for you know him to start playing some more matches.
0: Ryan, you were you were a bit of a Charleston skeptic. Or uh, how do you feel after what's two appearances?
2: I, I yeah, I I wasn't a skeptic in that I didn't think he was good. I just. I I didn't think that if you have that type of money to spend, that's the guy you go after. But, I mean, I think he's been exactly what I expected. And I think a big part of it, kind of to Brian's point, is the way that he's able to play just lends himself so well to this role because he is so physical and he works so hard. You're putting that up there against tired legs, against brains that have been trying to process 300 different moves over the first 70 minutes and are just their minds are tired and they're thinking about 42 different things and richarlison comes in with his fresh legs and he's like i'm i'm just literally never gonna stop um and i'm going to lean this big ass body on you repeatedly at full speed good luck with that and so i i think it's a perfect role for him and a place that i think we're seeing that too because his assist was gorgeous, but also the reason there was an assist is th- the work that he did to get that ball beforehand. And that's just a dude who never stops working like that. Is, that is so much of what that was. And so you put that all together and you just have such a dangerous player. And then you're like, okay, well, how's that going to translate into being a starter, which I think we're going to see in this upcoming week. And he's clearly proven that he can be a premier league um, quality starter. That's it's not that it's there, but then also consider that when he starts a game, that means you're bringing one of Sun, Kane, or Kulisevsky off the bench to run at tired legs. However, you break this down, like you're just kind of seeing, I think everything that that Conte and the rest of the club had in mind when they signed this guy. And like there, it, it's it seems like overly simplistic. And we like to talk about like great passes or great skills, although his assist was definitely that. A dude who is big and strong and works his ass off? Like, it's so simple, but it means so much, and it makes such an impact.
0: I think, and I might be reading too much into this, but I I think something I saw there that hadn't, I guess I'd seen a reporter two mention it, but it really sort of hit me when I was watching Kane celebrate with him, which is, like, I think an advantage of bringing a guy like Richarlson in, and there were other players like him that I think would have filled this role, but, like, unlike bringing, you know, Steve Bergvine in, who for whatever his virtues is someone that I think Harry Kane probably has less respect for than Richarlson. And I think there's probably something to be said for like, I don't think it's ever going to be easy to tell Harry Kane, like Harry, you're taking the, you're taking the night off or we're taking you off in the 60th minute. I think he is an easier sell to Harry Kane because of how he's, what he's accomplished in the premier league and what the, and what the perception of him is. And I think I don't know why it occurred to me, but the watching Kane celebrate with him, it like that really hit me in some reason. Like, oh, Kane, I think Kane respects this guy a little bit more than some of our other bench strikers that we've had over the years. And I think that's, you know, it's it is. Uh, I, I compared him to the signing. The signing reminded me a lot, not in terms of the actual skill sets of the players, but in terms of stature or what they were bringing to the team. When city signed Mariz, that was absolutely not a starter for them. Even though he Mahrez should go be a starter somewhere, but it was just bringing this level of depth in. So like the drop off whenever you take one of their front three off is just so much less. And I think Richardson really gives you that. Um, now obviously you have to play him more. I mean, you're when you sign a guy like him, you are you are conceding that he is going to play more than Steve Bergvine did, which isn't necessarily fair to Bergvine, but. You know, it's it's it was, I don't know, it was just, like you said, Ryan, I think he is, like, you saw everything you want to see from him. He was physical, he was tough, he, like, kept working, he has a bit of skill, he's going to house the other team. I mean, the funny thing that I don't think is discussed enough about that shit housing that he did at the end is, like, the reason it all happened, I think he was trying to draw the foul, because I think he was trying to waste time with eight minutes of, of stoppage time, and, and that's exactly what happened. I mean, I think he killed a full minute just lying on the ground. And it should also be noted when he gets goes over, he makes a point of tackling a Forest player as he goes down. So you know, just really outstanding work—the kind of thing you only get from South Americans in the Premier League. <laughs> they they know they they learn this in their leagues.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, mean, we'll
2: uh, we'll see how we feel about it if he ever gets hurt doing it. But also, I think part of Richarlison's benefit, and whether he's shit housing or just straight up playing, one thing about him is he has always been willing to take the foul, and.
0: He's a big boy. Consic- so, he, he's I mean. a big
2: dude, and he's willing. It, but he's he's not dancing out of the way and then trying to hope that the call comes. Like he's like, I will stand here. You will kick me, and I will take my foul. Which is great because one, we seem to be good at set pieces now, and so that can actually show up on the score sheet. But then also, like he did this time, if you're bringing him off the bench, um, it, it, that's also a great way to protect a lead. And so I think I think both go a really really long way. And now that we. Are getting into these midweek matches too? He's going to play more. However, you split up because I mean you're looking at each week you have 540 minutes to figure out among the front three alone. Um, it, you can't not have him playing a lot. It, it just doesn't make any sense. So we'll we'll see how they play once that gets going. And the interesting thing to me is going to be. Because he's going to be playing more, is how do we find these patterns and these combinations and the understanding and how do we play differently when we have any combination of those three out there? Um, that I think is going to be really fascinating to watch going forward. And, and then also with the with the players behind him, I mean, we obviously right now have those three, the the set of three up there. But like, does one does Richardson prove to have like a really good? understanding with Perisic, and so putting him on that left makes a lot more sense or maybe on the right or who knows but I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see just kind of across the board as we start working these players in more because we do have good players to put in there um now also that hopefully will play it up because we are it gives you also not just more good players to put out there but more opportunities to find like just really great understandings between teammates that I think hopefully level up the entire
1: squad Brian, the other nice thing I th- uh, I think about Richarlison is that like just on a personal level, I like him and I appreciate him in a way that like, you know, at least one of our other signings from the summer, I, I don't feel that way about. But like, you know, I I can see why Everton fans felt the way they did about him and why they were upset to see him go, because like as a Spurs fan, you you watch Everton, like, I don't know when they play Liverpool in the Derby or, uh, you know, during your match against Everton, you're like, he doesn't really do much. So he just runs a lot. And like, that's great. But like, what he rolls, he rolls around on the ground trying to draw
0: cheap fouls. Like, yeah. yeah.
1: And, um, and so when he plays for the team, like, this is a, you know, the prime example of that type of guy. Like, when he plays for another team, you're like, this guy sucks, I hate him. And now he plays for us, and he's amazing, and I love him. I I knew intellectually that, like, he's probably going to really
0: spice up, like, our derby matches and probably our game against Liverpool. Um, but it didn't really, like, register for me until I was watching him, like, do those keepy And I'm just like, oh, man, that... That Liverpool game is gonna get real, real fun this year. Or at least, maybe not fun, but he's gonna add a little something to
2: it. I mean I I'm also it's gonna be really fun too, because he's whether it's for the club in the Merseyside Derby or or playing for Brazil and playing qualifiers in these plays, like he's proven that he can be that expert level shithouser, do it on a giant stage and also know where that line is where he doesn't end up screwing over the team. And a lot like Romero. I, yeah. And I, and, I, and I don't entirely trust all of those other competitors that we have, whether it's in the league or in the Champions League, to know where that line is too. So it's going to be beautiful because at least in one of those big games, he's going to be egging someone on and egging someone on and egging someone on, and he is going to tow that line, and the guy he's been egging on will not tow that line, and all of a sudden we'll be finishing a game up a man.
0: So, Ryan, that's a great transition mentioning the Champions League and what, what's good for it because Tottenham was in the Champions League draw this week. Uh, before we talk about Tottenham's Champions League draw, I think we ought to spend a minute, uh, you know, on Arsenal's Champions League group. What did you think of, of that group, Brian? I mean, the non-existent group. Yeah, you know, um, what do you think? What do you think Arsenal's going to do in
1: the Champions League this year? Not a whole I mean, lot. I think they're going to really struggle to win a game in the Champions League. <laughs> um, they've got some really long trips into other competitions. Weirdly, I'm not sure how that works. Um, but yeah, they're they're going to struggle to record any points in the Champions League. Ryan's an expert on coefficients, so maybe Ryan can tell us what that does um, for them. But yeah, I don't. It's not going to be good. I,
2: I I just think that the number one thing to keep in mind is that the last time Arsenal won a knockout stage uh, draw in the Champions League, uh, two Harry Potter movies had not yet come out. So you know what do they know that's i i feel so old now <laughs> that is a while ago there 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 are there are arsenal fans uh who are getting ready for their bar and bat mitzvahs who have never seen arsenal win a champions league knockout stage tie.
0: but enough about the trump family um <laughs> So, um, let's talk about Tottenham's Champions League group. Uh, we drew uh, Sporting from Portugal. We drew Frankfurt from Germany, and we drew Marseille from France. I don't know about you guys, uh, and I, I don't. I'm not being. I'm trying not to be conceited when I say this, but this is kind of the perfect draw for what I want out of a Champions League group. In that these are teams with some history. These are teams in. Um, exotic locations might be a little too strong, but teams in interesting cities and locations, teams that we haven't played a million times, and also teams that we should probably be beating. So I, it's kind of what I want to see out of a group stage for all.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I, I've i been very much the person that the, the last few times we've had Champions League, that I was like, give us the good teams. And like, that was my rationalization for us getting really shitty groups with like Dortmund and Real Madrid and everything. And um, I don't have to do those mental gymnastics this time around. Um, so, I, you know, there's been a lot of talk, you know, just in football in general this the last couple of weeks about whether it's better to have, you know, kind of that really tough Champions League draw or whether it's better to have this. And I think it's definitely better to have this. Like, you know, the, you, you want a higher chance of qualifying for the knockout rounds. I think, you know, look, if I was going to Pick my perfect Champions League draw. I would have had a different team other than Frankfurt, just as someone to, um, like like you were talking about, Greg, like um, a, a different team in terms of like history or you know getting to go someplace cool. But in terms of like, hey, winning the group and making sure you have a great position for the knockout rounds, this is exactly what you want.
2: Yeah, I mean this sport. And this club in particular uh, makes things complicated and difficult enough on a day-to-day basis. Um, I'm really excited for a draw where it is, if you play well, you will play in the knockout stages. And if you play like crap, you won't play in the knockout stages. This is a very much it is in our hands type of situation, which, hey, that doesn't mean we're not going to kick ourselves in the
0: dick. But We did it in know, that least, year with Monaco.
2: Yeah, like not that it can't happen, but it's nice to literally just be out here and be like, if we play well we will be in the knockout stages there's there's not a scenario here where we play well and then like get screwed over or some weird thing happens or these draws just too difficult like play well you go through don't play well you don't like fine let's just lay it out that way it's also nice to do that uh in a season where we are good at soccer i i it's it's a really nice combination where all you got to do is be good at soccer and we're good at soccer
0: but, it, I mean, that's good, but also what I, like, one of the things I like about soccer is, like, the history. It's like, you know, it was coming to it in my late 20s, it was very, like, oh, all these teams that have all these years of background in all these different countries. And one of the things I really like about that is, like, oh, well, we're going to play teams, like Ryan said, in a group where if we play well, we're going to advance, if we don't play well, we're not. But it's like, oh, yeah, Sporting's a big club historically, Marseille's a big club historically, Frankfurt's noteworthy they're not as big as the other two clubs I mean and you know if you're a Tottenham fan in England or you're an enterprising Tottenham fan abroad he wants to travel like going to Marseille is a fun trip going to Lisbon's a fun trip I honestly don't know if going to Frankfurt's fun trip it probably is um you know I could be convinced I'm sure but like you know these are these are good trips this is what you want out of Europe like fun games where you don't feel outclassed where you're not playing Dortmund for the 500th time You know, like that—that's what you want out of Europe. It's a group like this. I'm excited for it, and I'm not saying that because I think we're gonna like stomp the shit out of these teams. Or just—it's not, you know—that's not what I'm purely coming out of. But yeah, it's a favorable group. It would cool cities against cool teams. You know, I'm not gonna pretend to have watched a lot of Marseille or Sporting. You know, probably my only exposure to Sporting the last few years is watching City dog walk them in the first knockout stage game they play every year, but. You know, I mean, these are, these. this should be fun. Um, Brian, do you have any... I know you used to watch a lot of French football. Do you have any Marseille observations or thoughts for us? I know they
1: fired their manager right before the season started. Yeah, that's the thing. Is, so, like, I don't know what they're even going to look like um, this year. Uh, so the, the new manager they hired was managing in Serie A the last couple seasons, and so I watched zero Serie A and definitely no uh, Hellas-Verona matches or wherever he was. So, like, I have no idea. Um, but people say that they press a lot, and, um, you know, good luck getting some of the guys on that Marseille team to do that. But, um... <laughs> 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 but, there's a lot of like, old Arsenal players on that team. Yeah, I mean, there's Alexis Sanchez. There's, I think, Gunduzi is there, you know. Like, so... Um, I don't know. I, I, I think probably Marseille are the team in that group that is going to give us the most problems. And I say that based purely on, you know, hearing other people talk about, hey, their new manager likes to press a lot, and knowing that that does sometimes cause us issues. I am not particularly concerned about sporting, although, like, I don't know if they somehow fire their manager and sign Cristiano Ronaldo. Maybe they'll score a few goals against us. Their manager's
0: supposed to be a real hot shot, isn't he?
1: Sure. Ryan, do you know anything about this?
0: I don't know. Like I was uh, reading yeah. some article about like, they've got a real up and comer there apparently.
2: Yeah. I mean, they, 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 he is supposed to be very, very good. Everything I'm about to tell you about sporting Lisbon. Uh, I learned from my friend Evan, who's a giant sporting Lisbon fan. So, uh he is really good and the team has been really good recently and also they he he says that they're not very good this season because they've sold a lot of their best players the last few years including most of their midfield from last year so he does not think that this team is going to be very good this season um as a result because they have not adequately replaced the players who've gone out so it sounds like sporting is going to be down and Eintracht is a bad team and well, tracked. Uh, really
0: they they gutted a lot of the they're team. terrible yeah
2: yeah, I mean, I, I agree though. Marseille, I think, is the most challenging team.
0: Um, That's assuming they don't have a. I mean, from what I do know about what I read about your, about football on the continent, um, it is honestly you could say this about Marseille any year. It seems like a collapse could happen at any time, given how insane that club is run and the fact that they just fired their manager right before the season. Uh, but yeah. Like, again, you can say about Marseille any year. (laughs) Yeah,
2: like, they have Dimitri Payet, who, like, on one hand, you're like, oh, damn, he can score from anywhere. That might screw us. But also, apparently, uh, he's beefing and is not playing with the team uh, right now for some reason that I don't really understand. The other thing, though, is also just, like, the Stade Velladrum is a really difficult place to play. So that away match is not going to be uh, the most hospitable for us. So... The combination of, of playing at the Velodrome and then some of that team makes me think that that's definitely going to be the toughest match and, and they'll be our toughest competition in the group. But again, if Marseille is your toughest competition in a Champions League group, um, you're doing all right. The draw was kind to you. And also, that's the last game of the group uh, when we play away to Marseille. Hopefully, we take care of business and that game doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and as for Frankfurt, all our American listeners need to know about them is that they continue to employ Timothy Chandler um, as a player who plays minutes for them. So how good can they be? Haven't they sold all their good players this offseason? Uh, is Indica still there? I think he might be there still. I think, I think he signed an extension. Um, but yeah, he's I, they, everybody else of, that kind of carried them to the Europa League is... Pretty much gone. Yeah, he's still
2: there. Um, and so he can mark one of our forwards.
1: They have Mario Gotze. So no. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He's still playing football. Apparently, when he feels like it.
0: Jesus. Yeah. That's so depressing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Only thirty years old.
0: No. Yep. I don't believe that. So
1: what the internet says. Mario Gomez right is now. only
0: thirty years old. The internet doesn't lie. He was like fifty when I started watching soccer. Look, <laughs>
2: like... yeah, so,
1: I mean, but look, I think I think the important thing is, especially with the way the Champions League is structured now, where there's so much more incentive to win your group, and then the fact that we've got the weird midseason World Cup, and you know who knows what's going to wind up coming out of that we're in a very good position to win our group and then not have to play kind of in that first round of matches and then get a, a, a favorable matchup coming out of that. And, and I think that's what you want to set yourself up with uh, at this point.
0: And it's an interesting situation because on the one hand, you know, Champions League's hard to win. There's all these teams. And Conte does not have a good record in the Champions League. I think it's been a minute since he's won a knockout stage in the Champions League. But, like, he is one of the four best managers in the world. So, you yeah, know, who knows? I. Mean...
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's not good at midweek games, so we're going to find out how that goes in the next couple weeks.
2: Yeah, but he's never had Richarlison before.
1: Yeah, that's true. He has never had Richarlison before.
0: He has yeah. had Parisish before, so maybe we should be worried, but...
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it, that's also the other bonus about having a week group is because of the condensed schedule. Um because of the World Cup, and then on top of that, having Conte's, you know, historical Champions League issues. I'm not trying to raise that bar any higher than it absolutely has to be. Like, hopefully we get out of the group. Hopefully we take care of business so that last match against Marseille doesn't matter. And then, like, you know what? We've heard enough uh, reporting that we are going to be back in the market in January most likely to add a player or two. So, you know, let's just try to get out of this group by any way you can keep it together. And then we'll start again in January and try and figure out how you can theoretically win a champions league. And and like, let's make that a later problem, a post world cup with a January transfer window problem. And, and this group kind of just puts you in that position where you don't really have to be great. You just have to be good And, and just be good, figure out a way through, and figure it out after the World
0: Cup. Well, so much of it, I mean, we saw it under Pochettino. And uh, honestly, you see it with, like, Real Madrid last year when they won the Champions League. Like, so much of the knockout stages of the Champions League is like, figure it out this week. Like, worry about worry about the next draw once you get through this one. <laughs> and, you know, like, so we don't want to put the cart before the horse. But it's exciting. It's nice being in, you know, it's it's sort of, I, I don't know. I forgot how nice it is just being in the Champions League and it not being, like, you know, our last campaign, I think, was over pretty much before it started. So, this is, you know, it's nice to be back.
2: Yeah, it's nice. And then, yeah, like, it's... And, it, and like, the like kind of to your point, though, the occasion will be there, too. Because, I mean, you look at the Velodrome is one of the coolest and most historic stadiums in Europe. And, I mean, Eintracht and, and Sporting both play in 50-plus thousand-seat stadiums. Like, it is... Despite the fact it's a pretty favorable draw without any real heavyweights, like it's going to feel like a big Champions League. Well,
0: you are gonna, yeah, like you said, we're gonna be playing Sporting. They're gonna show shots of a fifty thousand foot, fifty thousand person stadium that's full. They're gonna have like pictures of Lisbon in between, like you know, uh, in, at halftime and before the game. As opposed to like we're playing Dortmund in like the group stage again, and they're gonna show like the car park outside the stadium because that's the only thing in that town. Uh, you know, it's 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 just nice to. Be playing teams that feel like they should be in the Champions League.
2: Yeah, and I mean, in a lot of other ways too. Like, with the like the draw we got was obviously um, great, but like a lot of these teams, like if you're when you're pulling out of pots three and pots four, and you you get that kind of fortunate draw, like it, it could be sending you to like Shakhtar Donetsk, where you. I mean, they don't really have a home right now, yes, they're they're playing
0: what in Krakow? yeah yeah
2: and and so that's they don't have their own fans there, or I mean no offense to Red Bull Salzburg, but that's a it's a different feeling going to salzburg or 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 going to um some of these other places or like club Bruges than it is like going Isn't to sporting, it, like feels cool. Like even going to playing Neintracht, Monaco,
0: like, Oh, we're going to go to a half empty stadium. The, the style. Yeah. It's I like, mean,
2: Eintracht Frankfurt, like the, other than probably the Europa league final, this is their biggest game in, in decades when we go there. And so that occasion will feel cool. It, it doesn't feel it. We got kind of the sweet spot of fortunate draw without kind of watering down like the occasion.
0: Yeah. It doesn't feel like Europa League matches, which we've had. I think our last group, which we didn't get out of, kind of felt like that. Um, partially because that's how feeling playing Leipzig feels. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, no. It's it, I mean we, I guess we also played Bayern Munich, which you know it's a little different. yeah, but... I
2: would yeah, say that
0: that was a that was a time. That was what Bayern, Olympiacos, and Red Star. Olympiacos. That was the other team we played. Ugh. Ugh um yeah no this feels this feels like a real champions league group it's also easy which is nice so it should be easy at least um yeah no i'm excited i'm excited to get back into europe um it'll be nice um you know conference league like it was funny to chant about how we made the conference league the game we did it but it wasn't actually any fun so uh you know it'll be nice to play real teams in europe again so on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. We play West Ham tomorrow. Hopefully that goes well. Uh, Brian, where can people find you on the internet uh, sobbing in your beer during the West Ham game?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And Ryan, where can people find you on the internet uh, complaining about no Taylor
0: Swift album during the uh, West Ham game tomorrow? Uh, you can find me at Comrade Spurs. Ah, yeah, that's a terrible account. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter At Skipjack0079, that's 0079 with a Y. For Brian, for Ryan, for Ben, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host Greg. Come on, you Spurs.